Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second edition, episode two of the CMB Sixers podcast, starring me, myself, Camden Euler, and my co-host Brian Cathell. And this week we'll be we'll be going over the the recap of the Sixers week last week, which definitely had some ups and up and downs. We're going to get into that. We're going to take a look at the the shortened short set of games that the Sixers have for next week. Then we're going to talk about a lot of the big news that happened in the league in the league uh, this week, which which is a lot, including the James Harden trade and and the continuous battle the NBA is having with with COVID and, and the protocols that are coming out of that. And then we're going to return to our favorite segment that happens at the end of every show, the six or six. Last week, we talked about who our favorite Sixers of all time was, the ones that got us into basketball. And now we're going to talk about the ones who almost drove us away from Sixers basketball, the ones that really put got a, got under our skin. We wasted, wasted a draft pick on, weren't motivated to play for us or never played for us at all. I'm going to get into that one. I have a good story for him. But without further ado, let's get into it. This is the second episode of the CMB Sixers podcast. Yes, we are back. Second episode of us for the second week. We're talking about the Sixers. And this week definitely had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of positives, a lot of negatives came out of this week as well. Sixers are currently sitting at nine and five, which is third in the Eastern Conference. Not awful for the for what they've had to go through so far in the season. Adam Silver hates the Sixers, obviously. We'll get into that in a little bit. We're gonna start out with start out with the recap of the week. We're gonna start with the Hawks game Monday night. Tough loss for the Sixers. They took the loss 112 to 94. The Sixers were obviously still shorthanded in this game, missing Matisse, Shake, Tobias, Big Vincent, and Steph Curry for COVID protocol. And Ben Simmons was still out with knee soreness, and Furkan Korkmaz was still out with his shoulder injury. However, we did get Embiid and Mike Scott back, but it just wasn't enough to hold off Atlanta especially since we were missing as many players as we were, Brian. Was the, did you expect the Sixers to, to play like they did in this game, come out as slow as they did? And did you expect the Hawks to, to come out as, as fiery as they did with the Sixers not having everybody in the lineup? Well, this was about equi- – it wasn't quite equivalent to what the Nuggets was, but we were definitely shorthanded, and the Hawks can get out – they're a good shooting team and can get out quick. And we're also against our greatest opponent ever, away games. Yeah, that that is a true statement right there. The Sixers, again, coming off a terrible road record last season, are continuing that this season. But, yeah, Atlanta definitely took advantage of the Sixers being shorthanded. They went on a ton of runs in the second half, and they just got out to a big lead that a lot of the young Sixers that were on the court were just unable to overcome. And another, and I talk about the young players, but a person I was, a player I was very disappointed with was Danny Green went 0 of 9 from, from the field in this game, 0 of 7 from the three-point line. I mean, he, he made up for it in the next game, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But I mean, we brought Danny Green in to, to shoot the ball and, and he, other than a couple games this season, he's been very inconsistent and he's not finding a stroke as well as he, as he used to be in the, in the past. And I know we saw it in the in the finals last year where where he wasn't finding, you know, his stroke. He wasn't he wasn't shooting as well as he'd like to, of course, and and the fans of the Lakers and now the now the fans of the Sixers as well. So, Brian, do you think there's a reason for his for his inconsistency so far this season and last season? Is it just 
his aging? Is it trying to fit in new organizations or, or, or what do you think that is? I'm, I'm not sure what it is this year. Um, he, he seemed to be healthy and he's, there's no real big burden on him to be scoring. We have guys that can do that. He's really just there to space the floor and get, get open three pointers and play some defense. Yeah, I, I'd like that's one thing I didn't mention is his defense has been has been normal Danny Green defense. And that that's another reason why we brought him in. When we brought him in, I was looking at, you know, this is this is Jason Richardson with a better three point shot. You know, they're both very good perimeter defenders. They're going to they're going to give an offensive threat on the other team a lot of trouble each night. But now we have Danny Green who can shoot the ball. But I mean, he's definitely having inconsistencies this year, and and I and I hope he can turn it around. And even though you know this game was not entirely on him, he he had a he had some trouble shooting the ball. Uh, Embiid and Mike Scott returned in this game. Like I said, obviously, you know Embiid's going to make a difference. Mike Scott not so much, but Embiid coming back, he, he definitely he played he played well for coming back off the injury eight for 17 with 24 points and 11 rebounds so he pulled in a double double so he definitely helped us helped us you know make the try to make this a game you know obviously we were still very shorthanded a lot of young rookies in the lineup so it was still going to be difficult to win this game so so even even with Embiid back were you were you expecting like you said this was on the road so this is going to be Typical Sixer struggles, but did you think Embiid was going to be enough to to keep us in this game and power us through not having Tobias and Matisse and all those guys? Um, it, I thought it was going to be tough just for him to have to carry. He's really going to have probably drop 40 or 50 to really carry us in this game for how shorthanded we are. Uh, we're not – we weren't far removed from – the Nuggets game on that was just that Saturday probably shouldn't have been played. And that was another question I was going to ask about this game. Obviously we're seeing games postponed, canceled, played with very many, with very little people active on, on teams. So, you know, with the inconsistency, this brings up the question of, you know, should this game have been postponed, you know, even though we had the available players to play, you know, there are games where, where people have the available players, but those games are getting postponed. So, so would you have liked to see this game postponed, especially after what we saw in the Nuggets game? You know, even though we were, we were in the game for most of it, it, it broke down. Obviously, we had a, young, a lot of young guys playing over 40 minutes. So I think especially uh, my opinion on it is when you're having a lot of these games back-to-back, you know, where, where a lot of your players are going to be out for a while, I think especially when you have young guys in there who aren't used to to the wear and tear of an NBA season, you know, I mean, a lot of rookies talk about how difficult it is to get through, especially their rookie season and get through a rookie season in general. And a lot of them are only playing 12, 15 minutes a game here and there. But these guys look like, especially if if a lot of teams keep having problems, these guys, and especially if the Sixers keep having problems, they're going to have to keep playing 40, 35 minutes consistently every night. So especially coming off a game where a lot of these young guys already played 40, 40 minutes two nights ago. Do you think this game should have been postponed based on that? Do you think it should have just been postponed because, you know, we don't have anywhere near a full team or, or should this game have been played? 
Well, I mean, we're a little biased. I think it should have been postponed. Just, I mean, we were already shorthanded. And, I mean, what was the quality of basketball really going to look like coming off playing a lot of young guys, lots of minutes, and really not having a lot of the full-time guys that are used to handling a lot of those minutes. But, I mean, we were at the threshold for uh, enough players to play. So, I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get into into the COVID, the COVID uh, thing here in the league a little bit later, more in depth. But we're going to move on to the second time the Sixers have gone back-to-back games against the same team in the same arena. This one against the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat. Sixers taking back-to-back wins in those. And I say Eastern Conference champion Heat, but that was definitely not who was on the court as the Heat were on. Uh, undermanned in both these games as well, missing Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Avery Bradley, Goran Dragic in both of these um, both of these games. So first, we'll get into the Tuesday night game where the Sixers pull out a slight win, 137 to 134 in overtime. We got Ben Simmons back in this game, but we were still undermanned with no Tobias, Shake, Matisse, Ferguson, and Curry were all out for protocol. But this game was the Joel Embiid show, 45 points, taking advantage of no Bam Adebayo in the paint, realizing, especially after the Hawks' loss, that, you know, especially with guys out, he's going to have to take over. And he did that in this game. And it was especially apparent in the fourth quarter in overtime where the ball was getting shoved down Embiid's throat. He was going at Precious Achua as much as he could, knowing he was inexperienced and trying to get to the rim, be aggressive, try to try to make him respect the jump shot as well, so that Achua had to guess what Embiid was going to do. And it just made Achua's life a, a living hell as he, he was trying to guard Joel Embiid down the stretch in an NBA game. So again, this is another example of the Sixers, or of, of the Sixers and in this case, the Heat being very undermanned, but the game still came down to the wire. Uh, Brian, were you expecting the the Sixers to to be as close in this game as it was, seeing as the Heat had had not as many people out as the Sixers did the past week, but it, it was their main their main stars in Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Gordon Dragic. Honestly, I did not. Um, I know we had we this was a home game, so there wasn't that opponent, but. We've played down to teams before, and I've it felt like it was this a little bit. They real, they're really like guys on offense was Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero were really like their main guys who were actually there, and the rest were really just bench guys and maybe guys that wouldn't always get to play. And I didn't think it should have been this close. And we definitely had spurts in this game where we probably should have lost, and we let the Heat go in serious runs and just put ourselves in a hole, but I mean, we pulled it out as one of the probably crazier games we've played this year. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, they still had a lot of offensive firepower on the court. Tyler Harrow, 12 for 16 or 12 for 26, 34 points. Duncan Robinson, uh, six for 14, 26 points. And then a coming out game for Gabe Vincent. I had never heard of him before this game tipped off. Shot nine for 20 and had 24 points. 
but yeah, definitely the Sixers let the Heat go on a lot of runs that did that definitely could have been prevented with with better defense. But again, this was this was a back to back. This was after this was the day after the Heat loss. We obviously do bad in back to backs normally. This one coming off a loss, so I, I was I was definitely happy to pull out the win, especially with who with with what we had compared to what they had, but how they were playing. We go into the following game against the Heat on Thursday, and the Sixers take a more astounding win, 125 to 108. And this, finally, we can say that almost everyone was back in the lineup. Tobias, Shake, Matisse, Big Vincent were all back. Only We were only missing Seth Curry and Furkan. Uh, and the Heat were still shorthanded, missing Jimmy Bam and Drogic in this game. And I think this game showed, and I think, Brian, you can agree, just how dangerous this Sixers lineup is when everyone plays and they and they all get to, to, to put their skills on the court at the same time and, and flourish under each other. I think you could agree with that. Yeah, I think that was definitely a big thing. And, I mean, you saw it in the box score with Ben and Ben and uh, Embiid did, need, did not need to carry the entire team on their backs. We had good depth and scoring throughout, and it was a good team effort and a good team win. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the exact point I was going to bring up. I mean, Embiid and, and Ben combined for, for 19 of our 125, and and we won the game astoundingly, and we, and we were up by a lot in this game. It looks a little closer than the outcome was, but the Sixers ran away with this one. Just come, They came out hungry in the first half, and you could just tell that – you know they were ha- they were all happy to finally be back on the court together and and continue the run that they started before this all happened, and and they took a couple bad losses here due to being shorthanded, but yeah, like I said, we came out storming in the first quarter and the first half. I mean, Shake Milton and and Tyrese Maxey both shot perfect for I believe most of most of the first half. Shake ended with ended with thirty one points off the bench. And then another big thing that I brought out of both of these two games, obviously we have to take with a grain of salt that the Heat didn't have some of their main guys, but Philly is now sitting at seven and one at home this season so far with that one loss being the tough one to Denver with, with seven available players. So, so why do you think we're so dangerous at home and, and do you think we can keep that up as the season goes on? Because I, I think it's just, you know, I think it's crazy that we're still keeping this home stretch, even though there's no fans. So does a home game really feel like a home game at this point with no fans being able to create that atmosphere? Well, yeah, that was kind of, you know, I say that's kind of what I was going to allude to a little bit. I think one of the big things is how, you know, how passionate and how loud the home crowd can get for the Sixers. I think we've seen that in games and how they feed off that. And, I mean, they still play well. It, it's almost, even though there's no fans in the crowd, it seems like nothing's changed by how they play on the court. They're still winning games. The one loss was, I mean, it's a loss, but we talked about it last week and a little bit this week, and it's just a tough loss with only seven guys. And uh, it also seems like nothing changes on the road. We, we will get into our other game this week, but currently we sit at two and four on the road, and, I mean, we haven't really played great opponents on the road, and we still seem to lose. Like it's same old. That's what I was. I was, you know, when we what I was thinking about. You know, when we go on the road, you know, it seems like when we 
when we go on the road and we play a lot of weaker teams in their home arena, it, it never usually goes the way that the Sixers want it to. It always feels like we come out very slow on the road. Like, I don't – like, I've always wanted to look into, like, you know, the, like how the Sixers, you know, travel and stuff, like how, how that all works out because they always just come into the arena very, like, just slow and it just the, – the offense doesn't look – good in the first and definitely the first half of road games and then that usually you know extends into a big lead for the other team that the Sixers sometimes try to overcome but it doesn't always it doesn't always you know get to get to work out and did not come out on time so the game was unable to be played but this is the first Sixers postponement of the season could have probably been the the last, you know, probably could have been a couple more in there. You know, the Nuggets yeah. game probably could have been at least there. one. Yeah, that one, that one's definitely questionable. But obviously, you know, I'm I'm happy that the game got postponed. You know, I'm happy we didn't force you know any playing. You know, and obviously, you know, even if we're just contact tracing, you know, and even you know, Valanciunas didn't, you know, he didn't test positive or anything. He was just contact tracing, you know, I'm sure he just had a, you know, a, a symptom or something, a, a cough or a, or a loss of taste or something that, that, you know, you know, right now, obviously everybody, not even just NBA athletes are, are being very cautious when, when any symptoms come around. So I'm sure this was just, you know, the NBA and the Sixers, especially being very cautious due to the fact that, you know, we need every little precaution that we can because, you know, say Valanciunas ends up testing positive and the Sixers would have played this game against the Thunder. Now we're even deeper in, in postponements and, and players testing positive and stuff because, you know, correct action wasn't taken quickly enough when it could have been. So, so were, were you happy with the postponement, Brian? Were you obviously, you know, we would have liked to see what the Sixers could have done on the road versus the Thunder, but, you know, yeah. I think was the best option in this scenario yeah I mean it's it's unfortunate I mean we keep seeing seeing this across the NBA uh, it came as a little bit of a shock considering it, it wasn't announced it was announced only a few a few hours before tip-off mm-hmm. and um, it, no they didn't really announce any sort of Kate like numbers or who tested positive or if there even was a positive case but I mean, this is going to happen throughout the season. It's just unfortunate. And yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was nervous about when I saw, you know, all I saw was six or thunder postponed. I was like, do we, you know, do we have another outbreak? Do, did did the thunder have an outbreak? You know, did, did somebody on the Sixers roster do something they weren't supposed to, you know, something like that. I was, I was interested in, in, in what was, what the reasoning behind it was, but I was happy to hear that the Sixers are good. They're contact tracing now. I, I don't think anything anything bad has happened since. I don't think we have any more uh, positives or anything. So I think we're all good there. Hopefully the game will be made up at some point because in a season like this, every game counts. Every game needs to be played to see where playoffs fall and stuff. But, but to go back to the home record, I mean, like you said, Brian, the, the Sixers don't seem like they're skipping a beat at all. And we've, we've been to many Sixers games in the past. I mean, that arena is not only 
electric when when the team is doing well and they're and they're you know you can tell the team is feeding off the arena but when when players do things that that the fans don't like the fans are they they definitely let you know about it like I I think I think we were talking about it the other day the 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 most recent Sixers game we were at last season when they played the Bucks and Bede was taking taking a little too many jump shots and and the fans started letting some letting some booze out yeah, that, 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 that was that was a good moment. They, they still won the game, but that, that was a good moment. Yeah, they pulled out the win, but Philly, Philly fans are, they're very, and we're, we're, I mean, we're seeing it with the Eagles right now. They, they flip on a switch, you know, one minute, one minute, they're the happiest fans in, in the league. And then the next, the next, they're complaining about every, everything that the organization is doing and they want everybody fired and, and cut at the same time. So I think, Definitely no fans is, is going to affect a lot of the veterans, especially, you know, as we keep going into the season, you know, as a lot of, a lot of players have been saying, you know, a lot of these games feel like a scrimmage, you know, there's no fans, you know, it just kind of feels like we're, we're playing each other for, for, you know, a warm up game or something. But so I definitely think that's going to affect how, how the veterans and and the rookies too. I mean, they're, they're used to college arenas and stuff like that, but now we're going to get into what wasn't supposed to be the final game of the week for the Sixers, but it ended up being the Saturday loss we took to the Grizzlies 106 to 104. Very, very soon before the game, John Morant announced that he would end up playing in this game, which for Sixers fans was an absolute heartbreaker. As me and Brian talks about last week, we were not expecting John Morant and Jaron Jackson to be in the lineup. So we were looking for the Sixers to avenge the Nets loss where they came out slow with, with the team not having both their stars and try to do that again here in Memphis. And then we hear John Morant's going to be in the lineup. And it was, it was, it was, it was a crusher knowing that, that we were going to have to worry about him. What, what was your reaction to hearing that, that job ja would be playing in this game? Um, it, it was, it, it, it hurt a little bit just because, you know, we talked about it. It would have been hopefully a easier game for the Sixers if he wasn't there. But, I mean, also you got to take this a little bit of a grain, grain of salt considering this is his first game in mm-hmm. a couple weeks since his ankle injury. But, I mean, he's, we saw it. He still scored 19 out there and made an impact on the team. But, I mean, it, it's the same old. The Grizzlies are right now – more of a fringe playoff team. We'll see what happens. They're they're still missing Jaron Jackson, but yeah, we we just lo- we just lost. We we looked kind of slow. We we did make it closer in the end. Went on a little bit of a run there and just came up short. Yeah, it definitely it, it definitely wasn't an an embarrassing performance by any means. Uh, Embiid was out in this game with rest due to knee soreness, which I'm completely fine with. You know with his injury history, you know, any little pain we have, you know, we need to, we need to watch what he, you know, watch what he's doing, make sure that, make sure that he's fully healthy and we, you know, we need him down the stretch obviously, but yeah, I mean, the Sixers, they battled from behind the entire game with a slow start. Uh, Shake ended with 26, Tobias with 21, Ben had about a triple double. So it, it, it wasn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't play bad in this game at all, you know, even though, our team is better than the Grizzlies team, especially with who they had on the court without having Jaron Jackson and, and Valanchunas. But I think it's definitely, you know, 
making good decisions down the stretch and just finishing games. And we've seen a lot in the past that the Sixers just struggle with finishing games. And this one was, was an example with Tobias Harris having the bad turnover there at the end of the game, stepping out of bounds. And then, you know, Tyrese Maxey is a rookie, so I'm not going to get on him too much, but miss, missing a game winning three at the end of the game. So, you know, uh, but again, uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, Brian, but I'm not mad at this result. Obviously, you know, no Embiid on the road, we we're going to struggle. So were, were you not happy with this outcome, but were, were you not, you know, this isn't an, a, a loss to panic about or anything, right? No, I mean, I wasn't happy about the result. I, I think the Sixers should handle the Grizzlies in a normal circumstance. But, I mean, can we talk – we keep talking about, I mean, continuing on the road. They just – they, they just don't play up to where I think they should be. And I'd like to talk about it. Their two road wins this year were that opener against – well, they, they played the Knicks on the road, and then I'm pretty sure the other one was the Wizards. And those are two – I mean, the Wizards' record is not very good, but they are – they seem to be a decent team. And, I mean, that game was really close the entire time. It came down really – and I think we saw it with the Knicks game as well. We – I mean, it was close for most, if not all, of the game. And, I mean, we pulled away late, but I mean, we started slow in both those games. And they were both road games, and – we, I mean, we continue to see this. Yeah, it's all about, you know, if you dig yourself that hole at the beginning of the game, you have to be able to get out of it. And a lot of times the Sixers hole just ends up being way too deep that they, they end up not having enough time left in the game to be able to get out of it. Uh, and now we'll just talk a little bit about what was supposed to be the last game of the week for the Sixers, but ended up being postponed. The Sunday game against the Thunder was postponed due to contact tracing from the Sixers, left them with not enough available players. Uh, this this game was postponed due to Jonas Valanciunas entering uh, entering COVID protocol after we played them on Saturday. So then we started contact tracing, and results for those those uh, for those tests are trying to figure out, you know, make sure the team was all right. You know, there's Sixers news that happened very recently. Uh, two-way undrafted player that we signed this year, Dakota Mathias has recently been released by the 76ers or waived, I should say. So he is not even being sent back to the G League or anything. He is completely off the roster, which makes me think there was a reason behind that because I think if his play just wasn't up to the standards of what the Sixers wanted, he would have just been sent back to the G League to develop. But since he was completely waived and taken now off his complete, his contract is completely gone. He's no longer on the, the blue coats as well. So I'm thinking something in there was, was something, you know, behind the scenes that we may not know that might've been a reason for his release. Do you think the same thing or do you, do you think it was his play on the court? Because even though we were, shorthanded he was he was doing pretty decent on the court I think yeah I mean he was more of an end of a bench guy but I mean we saw what we could do in the in the Hawks and Nuggets game when we were shorthanded and he he performed pretty well I thought 
about as well as you could hope for for someone just coming off the bench playing 30 plus minutes and yeah I don't believe there is a reason given when this news was broken so I, I'm not we're not sure what happened there yeah and I yeah I mean again now you know this NBA season is is you know it's a lot of COVID talk because it affects literally everything that has to do with the NBA and especially as we've seen with the Sixers so far this season, you know, having making sure you have enough players on your roster to be able to play games if you have struggles like this is very key. So for us to just completely release somebody, you know, and leave a, an open roster spot is that is as of now open, whether we, you know, go after somebody in, in free agency or or you look to look to pull a trade off here soon. You know that just that leaves an empty spot in the roster that I'm that you know makes me believe that you know Dakota Mathias did something that you know for, forced the team either forced the team to release him or something that you know they just felt that it was best if he did not continue with the team. So uh, I mean I liked him as a player as short of a time as he was here. I uh, he you know he wasn't the best player on the court, but he definitely put in the max effort that we needed, especially during some of the circumstances uh, going into going into this. But like I said, now we have a free free roster spot. So so what would you like to see us do with with that roster spot? Would you like to see us try to get a trade here? Would you is there anybody in free agency you think we could go after or, or are we just going to leave it blank? Um, I would I'd like us to maybe go look for a free agent to fill that spot, but I'm I'm not sure who that would be right now. If it'd be a veteran guy, I would I wouldn't think they'd really want to be an, an end of the bench guys. And I'm I'm not entirely sure who who we'd really be interested in. So I'm not sure what's gonna happen. Yeah, I think I think definitely, I mean, like I said, with COVID and having enough players and stuff, you know, I think they'll definitely go after somebody, like you said, whether it's a veteran, like, you know, I know Kyle Korver is available right now, you know, somebody like that who we could bring in to, to just be able to, to, you know, maybe not be the, you know, a starter or anything, but, you know, can, can play when needed, you know, can, can step up if they need be. And especially with the, with the G League season, kicking off here soon they can always call somebody up from there sign them to a two-way contract so we'll have to see what they do with that uh and then the other news is uh next week with the wednesday game against the celtics which we're going to get into our predictions for next week here in a minute but seth curry will be returning to the lineup wednesday hopefully so how important do you think that is for philly to get him back especially with how hot he was right before he went out um, I, th- I think it'll be, it'll be very important for him to get at least something for minutes. Obviously, I really don't expect him to be up to form and, you know, not only that he had COVID, but also not playing in, a, in I think it's been over a week in a couple games not playing. So we'll see what that looks like, but he's, it's still a big addition for what he brings to the team. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, Doc should definitely ease him back in, you know. I'm thinking give us, you know, I'm thinking this week, depending on what we see from Curry, you know, give Shake that starting two, 
you know, have Curry come off the bench, ease him back into the lineup, make sure he's, he's at full health because, you know, COVID takes a toll on different people in different ways. So he might be a little beat up, a little more beat up on it than he thinks he does. So I think definitely easing him in will be a lot better than just throwing him back out in the starting lineup and having him play 30 minutes. But I definitely think I agree. He definitely is going to make a key contribution back to this team. He's going to be the final puzzle piece uh, to make this team back to what it was right before everything hit and we're going to start getting back to clicking. And another thing I just thought about talking about was Furkan Korkmaz. We should be getting him back here soon eventually. But do you think his rotation minutes are now diminished by seeing, you know, guys like Isaiah Joe and, and Tony Bradley, who guys who, who are proving they can, they can, they can play here. You know, do you think that they've earned minutes from Furkan when he comes back? Or do you think Furkan will come back in and in full rotation minutes that he was getting before his injury? Um, obviously at first, uh, I would expect him to lose some minutes, but I mean, we know what he can do off the bench. He's, he's a good, good, like little, little spark off the bench scoring three point shooting. I mean, I, we'll see. Cause I mean, yeah, you said both those guys have played well in, in his absence. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, the spark that he provides, you know, and we saw it. Uh, I mean, we saw what he can do. You know, he, he's more than just a rotation player, in my opinion. I think he can really, you know, be somebody in this league as we I mean, we saw against the Bucks when we went when we were at our last Sixers game. I think that was the game that he he had like it was close to 40, wasn't it? I believe it was, yeah, it was at least 30. It might, it might have been close to 40. Yeah. So he definitely has the the ability to put up points and he's got a veteran presence. He's been on the team for a while as well. So we'll have to see what they do with that when he comes back. But now we're going to look into next week, which is very slim, only three games next week. We're going to head back to Philadelphia to face the Celtics back-to-back in Wells Fargo Center Wednesday and Friday. Then we're going to travel to Detroit to start the first of a back-to-back there against the Pistons. So, so I'll just ask right off rip. Uh, what are your, what do you think we're going to end end this week? Are we going three and oh, two and one? Do you know, do you think we split against the Celtics? What do you, th- what do you think the outcome is for this week? I think we will split against the Celtics. Uh, I think they're, well, I feel like we can be a better team than the Celtics. We'll obviously have to see if Jason Tatum plays or not. He's been out due to contact tracing. Um, Prediction-wise, I mean, if it was home against the Pistons, I would say this should be hopefully a good week, but I'm going to have to go with one and two. I mean, the Pistons are one of the lower teams in the standings. I think they're tied for last in the East, but, I mean, they have guys that they they definitely can steal a game every now and then, and with how we play on the road, I, I think it's definitely possible, and it'd be definitely hard to win back to back against the Celtics. Yeah, I definitely think. I definitely agree with you that that Detroit will be a, will be not a blowout as it should be. Obviously, we've talked about it a lot this show about you know our our struggles on the road and stuff, and I think 
you know, even the, even though the Pistons are, are last in the East, I think, you know, they still have some, some players who, who can go out and, and get numbers for them. You know, Jeremy Grant's been playing great this season. You know, there's, you know, Blake Griffin's still in there, you know, he can make noise. So I think, you know, that game will be a lot more of a struggle than it should be. But I think, I think Boston will, I think it'll be a split. I think we'll go, I think we'll win one, lose one. I think Boston's head is a little bit down right now. Obviously not having their, you know, best player in Jason Tatum is hurting them a little bit. And they just took uh, about a 40 point loss to the Celtics. Shout out Brock. I know he was hype about that one. The Celtics getting massacred by the Knicks the other night, which is, is, you know, that's, that's pretty bad when the Knicks can, can come yeah. in and, and make it look that easy and and hold Kemba to I believe nine points in their first I don't have the stats in front of me but I know he didn't do as well as Kemba probably should in his in his, in his comeback game and then you know Jalen Brown didn't perform as, as well as he could but obviously it's a good Celtics team you know you know they're not going to sweat one loss to the, to the Knicks they're still one spot above us in the East you know they're sitting at eight and four we're at nine and five. And obviously it's very early, so this doesn't have, you know, it doesn't doesn't really affect anything. But, you know, two wins for us can move us into second right behind the Bucks, or it can move us down and, and you know, hold the Celtics above us. So I think, I think we'll definitely split. I think we definitely have to see how Curry comes back in the lineup, you know, if if everything with our contact tracing goes, goes well this week. But I agree. I think we're going to go one and two. I think we're going to grab the first one against against Boston and then they'll take the second one because I believe Jason Tatum will be back for the second one not the first one so I think I think he'll come out with some firepower in the second game and, and I think we'll split do you think that only having three games this week will be will be a positive for the Sixers or do you think it'll hurt them and they'll be a little rusty or and, and not moving as efficiently as they should uh, I think it'll be a positive. I mean, we've seen that they've played quite a couple games the last two weeks. They've played some they, – we, they played the two shorthanded games. I think it'll be nicer to have a little bit of rest and not play as heavy of a schedule. What do you think? Uh, I think it'll be a positive. I think definitely not having to travel definitely keeps the team in, you know, a lot better better – uh, fatigue and health and stuff like that, you know, it'll obviously reduce the risk of, of us getting another COVID outbreak if we just play, play those, that number of games. So I think it's definitely a positive. I think, you know, I, I don't like the, the back-to-back, you know, Boston goal. And then you gotta, we gotta finish that game and then go right to Detroit to play the next night. I think that'll definitely hurt us for the, for the Pistons game as well. So I think, you know, I think it's a positive, but I think, you know, obviously, you know, we have to get these games in this season. So, you know, any, anytime you can get a little bit of a break, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be nice. So now we're just going to, to jump into some, some other NBA news. And we're just going to start with, with the big topic of, of COVID going around the league. Uh, I don't know if there's a, I, I would assume there's a couple, but I, I know every team has, dealt with COVID here at some point, whether they've, you know, had a game postponed, whether they've had an outbreak themselves, whether they've had some third party, you know, they played a team the other night who just played a team 
who had COVID. So now they have to think about it. And, you know, so it's, it's very big going through the league right now. And I think that the huge question that a lot of people are, are asking as we keep seeing problems is, you know, is this season going to, to finish at all? You know, so, so I'm just going to ask you that big question, Brian, do you think this, do you think this season is going to, to get through all 72 games and, and get to the playoffs, you know, before, before a shutdown or, or before a move to, to a bubble or something like that. So, so what do you think the ultimate outcome for this season is going to end up being due to COVID? Um, I don't know how they will finish this season. I mean, I have that there, what I've found is they're up to 15 total games have been postponed. I mean, we saw there's another one today with the Wizards and the Hornets. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, doing as much travel as they do and, I mean, just as as much, like, games that we've already – I mean, the Sixers have only – I think we're only up to 14 games so far. And, I mean, we're already having problems across the league. I think the biggest one right now is the Wizards. They haven't played in – it's probably been a week or more that they haven't played a game. And, I mean, that's going to be tough just team-wise. Like, we'll see what they look like after not playing. And teams are on different schedules. And things might need to be extended. I mean, with 72 games, they might not all finish at the same time. And we'll see if our game gets postponed, like what that postponement ever turns into, if it's canceled for good or if we make it up sometime, I, I want to say they will go, they'll have to do a bubble for something, but I don't think the players want to go back into a bubble. And I understand that, but I, I'm just not sure what, what this will look like a couple months from now when it'll be playoff time. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely this thing where I think the NBA is taking it one day at a time. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it because every day we're seeing new problems and it's just being like, I think they're looking at it as all oh, that's the same problem as yesterday. You know, if we just postpone the game, you know, we don't have anything to worry about. But then I think definitely once we start getting to the end of the 72 and they see, oh my God, we have a hundred games that need to need to be made up. You know, when are we going to get these in, you know, you're going to have teams who you're going to have teams who don't need games who don't need games made up as many as some other teams do so you're going to have teams you know like playoff teams like I don't think the Lakers have had a game postponed yet so the Lakers at the end of the season might have a lot less games postponed than say the Sixers do so then the Lakers are sitting sitting for a, for a while before before the playoffs start so then they're either gonna, they're going to be rusty or well rested, how, whichever way you want to look at that. And then the Sixers are going to come into the playoffs after playing twelve postponed games right at the end of the season that are going to you know affect their play then going into the playoffs because they're going to be either fatigued from playing so many games right there because obviously the NBA wants to you know they want to finish on time. They want to have the playoffs start when it's scheduled to start. So I think the I think the 72 having those extra probably 10 to 12 days that the 82 are not in. So 72 to 82 is now open for what is probably going to be postponed makeups at that point. 
So I think that'll open a lot of time for those games to be played. But at this rate, I think, you know, we're having so many postponed games that I don't know if those games can be fit into those 10 and 12 days. I think you're going to need a lot more than that, especially if, you know, you know, we have a game postponed against the Thunder and then say in a couple of days, we have a game postponed against the Celtics or so just say the Celtics game gets postponed. You know, when it comes time to making that up, we're going to play OKC. And then it's not like we can just walk right over and play the Celtics. We have to travel back to Philly if we're going to play it in Philly, or we got to travel to Boston if they do it there. So then, so then there, that's a day of travel because that's cross country. So you can't play back to back cross country travel games. So you have to take a day break in between. Then we'd have to play Boston the next day. So that's three days already gone with just two postponements. So if teams end up having more than five to 10 postponed games, you know, are they going to be able to fit in that 10 days? So I think the NBA definitely needs to make a plan and they need to make it quick because this is only getting worse and it doesn't seem like it's going to be slowing down. And obviously, you know, Outbreaks are going to happen right now as we see how, how COVID is going through through America right now. You know, things are going to, to only get worse before they get better, especially if the NBA is not going to jump on the vaccines early like they've already said they're not going to, which is, which is a good thing because, you know, we need to worry about the, the other people first. You know, I don't think the NBA deserves to jump in line before before anybody else, you know, I respect Adam Silver in, in declining that. So, but I think, you know, definitely we need to, you know, we need to look into, into a plan. What that plan looks like, I'm not sure. I think maybe, you know, again, like you said, the players don't want to do another bubble. You know, the plan, the plan I think could be, you know, we just kind of stick it out here at the, be, at the first half of the regular season. And then once teams start getting eliminated from making the playoffs, you know, then they, they're, they're just, you know, I think that's what we need to do at the end, especially like, you know, if we're going to look at, look at the, the Pistons who are last in the East, you know, once they are mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, I don't think they should play another game the rest of the year because, you know, why risk COVID spreads to a team that could be in the, is going to be in the playoffs and stuff like that. But then that also brings up the problem of now the teams that were supposed to finish against the Pistons don't have games to play. So I think it's just, you know, it's, it's all a mess. And I think the NBA just doesn't really know what to do at this point. And you can't blame them as this, you know, it's, it's un, uncharted territory. You know, they've never had to deal with anything like this. So, you know, I don't think they were anticipating this many outbreaks and stuff as early as they've been. You know, I think they were looking at the NFL is, you know, with how many guys they have, they can definitely, you know, control it better than the NFL did. But as of now, I think the NFL did a little bit is has done a little bit better than the NBA has. But I think I think, you know, just if every player can follow protocol, which we've now seen a lot of new protocols, you know, very, very they've gotten very strict on it. So, you know, are you a fan of the, the new strict protocols, you know, and, and do you think, or do you agree with, you know, what George Hill said to where if it's this bad, we probably shouldn't even be playing in the first place? Well, I mean, I, I get why they're doing it and I agree with it to a certain point, but I mean, I think, you know, they've brought it up in different articles on these teams when they travel, 
some the flight crews and stuff they have not been tested and they they're around lots of different people and they're they're around the teams and i mean obviously you don't know about them what their status is and i think it's just an interesting factor that will have to be taken into account with this and uh, yeah i'm i'm not sure what if much will even really change with these or if we'll see a decrease with these we'll just have to see yeah i think you know obviously you know more not i don't know if more protocols are necessary but i definitely think you know more strict enforcement on the current protocols is what they should have done i think a lot of the new protocols just don't really make a lot of sense like not being able to you know shake hands at the end of the game or before a game after you just played 48 minutes of basketball against each other you know it it just doesn't logically make sense you know it, if you just played 48 minutes of basketball against another team and and somebody on that team has it you know at least somebody on your team is going to have it probably whoever whoever played or whoever guarded that guy most of the night so you know i think you know and obviously a lot of these nba players you know, and people in general, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to stop them from seeing their family and stuff. And, and, you know, living a life outside of the NBA, because right now, I think what the NBA really wants you to do is they want you to, to play the games, travel with the team, and then sit in your hotel room and do absolutely nothing other than play NBA games right now. And, and I mean, what we saw in the bubble, that was pretty much what they were doing. And they, you know, they could still go out, walk around the, the Disney world property and stuff like that. But I think the NBA really expects players to just, you know, sit in the hotel room all day long and not expect anybody to, to, you know, go to, and I'm sure teams are going to team dinners and, and, you know, stuff like that. So, so, you know, contact is still, is still happening and it's going to keep happening unless they go back to a bubble. And like we talked, I don't think the players are, are going to to go to a bubble. I mean, we're seeing guys right now who, who don't really want to play, you know, while they're traveling and stuff. You know, nobody wants to be locked up like that. So I think, you know, I think the NBA is just going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make a decision and they're going to have to talk to the to the NBA PA, you know, leaders as well. You know, they're going to have to talk to Kyrie if they can find him. Uh, they're going to have to talk to, you know, the players, you know, LeBron's obviously going to be, you know, a, a key voice and, you know, what the players want to, want to do going forward, because they're, they're a big part of it as well. You know, you have to, you know, the players are the ones who are making this all happen. You know, there's, there's guys, but there's people behind the scenes and stuff, you know, coaches and stuff and all that still, but the players are the ones who, you know, ultimately decide, you know, you know, are we going to play this out? Are we going to go to a bubble? Well, you know, what do we want to do? Because this, I mean, it's ultimately about them and, and how they feel about it and stuff like that. But I definitely think George Hill has a point in, you know, if it's really this bad to where, you know, I can't, you know, you, you don't want me to go see my family and stuff. Like, should we really be playing? And that's, you know, that's the ultimate question is, you know, is the, is the better thing to do to just suspend the season? So we'll have to see what the NBA does with it going forward. Uh, obviously, we're still seeing outbreaks. And like Brian said, we had a, another postponed game today. So, you know, we're going to have to see what the NBA does with it. If anything more happens with it, we will definitely keep you updated. But now 
time to jump into what was probably the scariest moment of the week for Sixers fans and probably Ben Simmons fans in in general. I know I was I was terrified when I saw that you know Ben was being thrown in trade talks again. But the Harden deal, Harden being shipped to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, the Nets end up receiving James Harden. Uh, this was I think a four team deal, five team deal actually. The Rockets end up getting Oladipo from Indiana, Dante Exum from Cleveland, and Karooks from who I believe was now in Cleveland. Uh, and then the, the Nets uh, also give the Rockets three first-rounders, and then they get a first-rounder from Milwaukee, and then four pick swaps from Brooklyn. Then the Pacers end up getting Karis LeVert and a second-round pick. The Cavs get Jared Allen and Terry and Prince. So I think I will be about 30 – by the next time the Nets draft in the first round because they traded about every pick they own to Houston to just get rid of James Harden. So, so who do you think won this trade? Who do you think lost? And, and how do you think this is going to work out for, for especially the Nets, you know, with, with Harden finally getting out of Houston and and getting somewhere new? Obviously, um, well, we will have to see with the, Rockets and Nets, because I don't I don't think that's any sort of a done deal with who wins or loses. Obviously, we'll have to see. I mean, the Nets are making a huge gamble. I'm pretty sure. I think it's 28 or 27 is the is the first year they have a first round pick. That'll be the first time. Like it's that many picks in years that they will not have it, and we will see what they look like in that many years and if they have another uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade situation. But obviously, you know, the Rockets got a lot of guys. And then they flipped Levert for Oladipo. Honestly, I say unfortunately it was revealed that Levert, he'll be out. I saw that. What what was the injury that he had? Uh, It's like... I forget the exact wording they used, but it's it's something with his kidney. It was yeah. it wasn't like an in-game injury or anything. Yeah. He has a problem with his kidney or something. So obviously that's something that they're gonna have to monitor and you yeah, know it's, it's a bit see, see how see how long that takes to to be able to come back from. But I think on paper, I think the Rockets absolutely stole this. I mean, I think this is robbery. I mean, you're looking at get you know, you wanted to all you had to do was get rid of James Harden. That was the ultimate goal. And as James Harden kept making it more and more of a problem, his trade value was going down and down because, you know, a lot of teams are looking at this like, well, if it doesn't work out right here, we're just, we're stuck in the same boat that you're going to be stuck in. But I mean, the Rockets, I mean, you get Oladipo, who is a certified star. We'll have to see, you know, how he comes off his, off his injury. Yeah. And then you have you get Dante Exum, who, you know, isn't obviously the NBA's greatest player, but he's he's solid. He can give you some rotation minutes. I don't think Cruz really do anything. But then you got, I think the big. I mean, you get three first round picks from Brooklyn alone, and then you get four first round pick swaps from them as well. So I mean, yeah. the the ability to get good players in the first round in the next coming years is going to be huge for Houston. You know, I think that's going to be, you know, it's going to be 
crazy how many first round picks they're going to have. They're up there with the thunder now. And, and, you know, I think they're going to, you know, I think it's just going to be a thunder rockets first round draft here in a couple of years, but yeah. And then you get another first rounder from the bucks, which I was surprised the bucks came in here. I don't know why. I don't know. They didn't get anything. from. Listen, I don't think they were in it. Uh, the Cavs had that pick. I'm pretty oh, sure. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think, I don't even think the bucks, I think it was just a, uh, that that was part. Of, I think the pay, the Pacers or the Cavs had that. Yeah, I think I read it wrong, but still, I mean that's four first round picks and four pick swaps. And I think, yeah, I think they, you know, I think they got a lot more than than they thought they were going to get, especially with with picks. And then you just you essentially swap Harden for Oladipo, which yes, obviously we're not going to say Oladipo is on the level of James Harden. But Oladipo is still a solid player, and he's going to be able to to help the Rockets. And again, the Rockets—I mean—they still have John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, you know, PJ Tucker. They they have some some guys. So I think they I think they're not really you know obviously you had to get rid of James Harden. You didn't really have a choice. He just wasn't going to play if you didn't trade him. So I think you know, and I think I, I you know I love that the Pacers got in here as well. I think, you know, you know, Oladipo for, for Karis LeVert is, is a little questionable, but I mean, Karis LeVert is a very solid player. We've seen that on the Nets here the past, past couple of years. And then, you know, I think the Cavs, you know, you know, they, they add Jared Allen, which is huge for them at center depth. They'll be able to switch back and forth with him and Drummond and, and the think, pain will be locked down for them. Yeah. I think they're going to trade Drummond, I would say, because they're, they have a lot of big guys there. And also, um, Oladipo is a free agent at the end of this year, so we'll see what happens with that. I think that was a big reason why he got flipped from the Pacers for Levert, because Levert is still under contract after this year and Oladipo isn't. So we'll see what happens with that, if he re-signs with Houston or not. I think the Cavs, I think they got a good deal. I think they should be looked at well in this. It really didn't cost them much to get Jared Allen, who – who's a good young player that they compare with Sexton and Garland. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they and then they can unload someone like Drummond who, I mean, he's more, he's an older guy, more of a veteran that, I mean, he's just really not on their development schedule and they can, they can get picks or maybe someone for him. Yeah. I think it's definitely going to, like you said, you know, you can look at it on paper, but it ultimately is going to deal with, you know, how it turns out in, in, you know, years to come and, and, you know, how they play this season. So to go back to Harden on the nets, do you think that'll work with those three minds on the same team, especially once Kyrie comes back? Cause we saw what in the, the past game they played, I forget who it was against off the top of my head, but Harden's first game, you know, him and Durant, magic. That's yeah. And Harden and Harden and KD looked very well together, but then, you know, I think the big puzzle piece here is going to be, you know, can Kyrie fit in there, you know, so do you think that's going to work chemistry wise, or, or do you think it's going to, you know, do you think it's going to be too much, too much dribbling and too much in each other's heads for, for this to work? We'll have to see how, um, that works with Harden and Kyrie. I know he finished with a triple double um, in this past game with KD, and I mean they look good together. Obviously, I don't. We're not sure what it'll be with Kyrie. I mean, we've seen big threes um, work before. We'll see how this works. 
I'm not I'm not sure if Kyrie will really last on the Nets because I mean they're lacking at depth and at picks and he he's I mean he's not there and the fit might be odd so it it wouldn't be surprising if if it didn't work this year if he were to get traded. That's another thing we have to look at too is the the depth that Brooklyn now has or doesn't have if you want to call it that. Uh, I mean you take a lot of you take you know Levert and and Allen and Prince and and now you're now you're on the bench with you know you got I mean TL Awawu Cabarro like you're you're gonna call Cabarro your sixth man. Then you got Landry Shamit who's not bad, but but after that I mean you just have you have a lot of guys who are trying to prove themselves in the league. And, you know, especially if, you know, what we've seen now, the Nets are all in and trying to win a championship here. So I think, you know, a lot of these young, some, especially one or two of these young guys off the bench is going to have to step up and show they can, they can be productive coming off the bench. So I think, and like you said, in a couple of years, you know, we might see another Garnett Pierce trade kind of thing here where, this will be a little more successful right after the trade. But again, you got to think Harden's 31 years old. Katie's up there in age a little bit now. So, and now you, you gave up about four years worth of first round picks. So, you know, is this, is this goal all in going to be worth it in a couple of years when we don't have picks, these guys are, are a little older and, you know, might not have as much firepower as they do now. So again, you know, like we've been talking about, it all looks good on paper, but we'll we'll have to see how it ends up working out. And just to talk a little bit about the, uh, how the Sixers were kind of involved with this. So, were you were you nervous or 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 happy or you know what was your reaction when you saw that that Ben and and Tyrese Maxey were were in trade talks with with. Houston as well to try to get James Harden. Um, I wasn't really surprised that hard that uh, Simmons and Maxey were included with the talks. I mean, that's really who Houston would be interested in. I don't think we would have to give up as many picks considering Simmons has already proven to be an all-star talent and there really, there really wouldn't be a lot of picks involved with that. I think it'd be a big loss defensively if we would have gone through with it. But also, I mean, I've seen things that we were probably never really contenders considering the Rockets owner would probably would not have wanted to trade Harden to the Sixers with Maury being there. I mean, that was, I mean, he'd be pretty much resigned and said, and then wasn't sure if he would keep being a GM and then immediately went to the Sixers. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, scary as to thinking, you know, with how we're talking about the Nets, like, would that, would that work? Because the way I thought, you know, you know, Joel Embiid is a, is a center who needs, you know, the ball in his hands and to, to be successful, you know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to sit there in the short corner and, and watch hard and dribble. That's just not the type of, of, of guard Embiid wants to, or is going to flourish around. So I didn't, you know, and I love the culture that Doc Rivers brought in here. You know, the way they're playing basketball right now, especially as we've seen everybody on the court, you know, we're, we're playing super well when everyone's healthy and, and able to play. 
So I, I was really confused on why we were we were trying to to go get James Harden when we've when the team has proven that it's being successful right now, and Harden proved nothing but that he's a he's you know going to be a crybaby if it's not going his way, and he proved that he also wasn't in shape, which is another thing we didn't touch on about in the Brooklyn game. The dude looked like he was in prime shape you know, two days after we saw him look like he just, you know, ate three meals a day at McDonald's. Like the dude was, I don't know where that weight went, but he shed that pretty quick. But yeah, I, I was definitely, you know, being the, as big of a Ben Simmons fan as I am, was definitely terrified seeing, you know, that Ben might, his time might've been done in Philly. And I think, it, I think it's just kind of disrespectful to Ben almost that and Ben was respectful about it. He said, "You know, this is a business. You know, I understand that's how it is. I just have to move forward, and I'm happy I didn't get traded." You know, he wants to be in Philly. He wants to win a championship with Embiid, and I think you know to just you know with all he's done for us, you know, and how we're trying to build the team around him almost, and then to just throw him in trade talks for somebody who's been been crying all week about how you know you know he's done all for the city of Houston, but it's just not going to work out, and and you know he wants out so bad and I just thought it was disrespectful to Ben and then trading Maxi just would have been moronic I mean the dude has been a stud so far this year he's looked he's looked very good coming off the bench for us so giving up a young talent like that before he can even really prove if he can stay in this league and keep playing at the level he is would would just have been absurd absurd but I think, you know, I definitely am happy the trade didn't go through for the Sixers. I'm glad he's with the Nets now. I'm glad we got to keep our team the same. So now we're going to jump into our final segment of the show, the, our favorite segment on the show. But this week we're talking about least favorite, the Sixers six. We're going to hit our least favorite Sixers of all time. The Sixers have, you know, they've had some players in the past couple of years that you know, we, we are not huge fans of. So I think, uh, Brian, I let you go first last week. So I think I'll take it here. And I think I take the cake as the most hated player the Sixers have ever, has ever been associated with the organization. And I say that because he never touched the court in live play with the Sixers, but Andrew Bynum with how much of a trade, with how much that signing stirred up with how you know it was during the process you know we could you know he was definitely you know looking like he could be a decent player you know he could bring us some some firepower that that we didn't have currently and then he goes bowling and absolutely blows his knee out you know completely treats the Sixers organization like it's like it's garbage and then ends up never playing a game for us and I have a great story about Andrew Bynum so the year after Andrew Bynum left Philly, he signed with the Cavs. Oh no, it was like a one-year deal. I think it was the I think it was the last team he ever played for. They signed with the Cavs, and I went to a six the Sixers Cavs game that year. And you know, it was normal. This was before COVID, so everything was normal. The Sixers come out for shoot around, you know, everybody everybody's shooting, and then the Cavs come out. And I was waiting for it because I knew Bynum was on the roster. I was like, everybody's going to boo the Cavs when they come out just because Andrew Bynum's on the roster. And the Cavs run out, you know, it was the, it was the Cavs from from that year. Uh, LeBron was load managing probably because I know he didn't play and I don't think he was hurt. So 
uh, and everybody runs out and I'm looking, I'm like, where's, where's Andrew Bynum at? Andrew Bynum is nowhere to be found. And then in, in about a minute and a half, Andrew Bynum comes out by himself, arms up, looking at the Philly crowd, like hyping them up. And he, and he got the probably the loudest boo I've ever heard in Wells Fargo center. He, and that just, I mean, that solidified the, you're a joke to the Sixers organization with, with how much, how much you caused us for never touching the court. So Andrew Bynum is definitely at the top of my list. Uh, who, who would be at the top of your list, Brian, for most um, Sixers of all time? For me, I, th- well, I think we'll have to start with Nerlens Noel. I mean, he's coming off. First off, we traded Drew Holiday for the pick to select him. We're already off to a bad start when the process was starting. And then he was coming off that, you know, that bad ACL injury at Kentucky. And then once he finally made it in the league, it's – I mean, you could kind of see it right away. This guy was probably a backup center. He – and you also saw it in his time. I think he was only there for two or three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the game passed him by. He doesn't have – he doesn't really have a jump shot. It's kind of an old-fashioned just – shot blocker, defensive guy in the middle. I mean, we drafted him number six, and he just – and especially considering at one point we had – with our top picks and I think it's three three years in a row, we drafted a center, and he was one of them. Like, how was that going to work? Yeah. I don't I, I don't think, hate Noel in any means. Yeah, I don't either. I think it's just – he. It was just unfortunate how it panned out, and I think yeah. he – the reason he's hated by a lot of Sixers fans is he could have made a lot more effort to make it work, but he was just like the guy who I'm going to mention next, you know, he, you know, he got drafted by the Sixers and they were not very good as we saw there for many years, you know, the, the team was in shambles and, you know, they just, he wasn't really about that. He was, you know, he was, he wasn't very motivated to, to stick out the process and, and it, it affected his play. But again, like you said, we, you know, he's not, you know, he's, he's this, the kind of center that a lot of, a lot of times now, a lot of NBA teams shy away from, cause it just doesn't fit how the NBA plays today. I mean, we talk about it uh, with Luca Garza right now, you know, he's arguably the top college basketball player in the NCAA right now but he's not going to go anywhere near the top of the draft boards just because, you know, his game doesn't fit how the NBA currently plays. And that's also why Wiseman went number two this year, because he's the prototypical NBA center right now who can, who's athletic. He can, he can get to the rim and spread the floor at the same time. So I think, you know, Noel definitely, you know, that was a big problem for him, but I think he's definitely, you know, he's not completely out of the league. You know, he's uh where did he, he's not on the Thunder anymore. He's with he's uh, the Knicks, I'm pretty the sure. Knicks, yeah. So, you know, he's trying to find, find minutes. So, you know, again, he's not one of, like, I hate Andrew Bynum, like, get out of my face. But, you know, Noel, you know, he just didn't work out with the Sixers. But the reason I think he's disliked by a lot of people is, you know, the the effort that he put when he was in Philly. Yeah, I mean, top, top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. supposed to be this foundation of the process trading someone like drew holiday for that pick yeah and, I mean, yeah that hurts too giving yeah. up a partner like drew for him so my second one is going to be 
about the exact same thing I just said for Noel, but about 10 times worse. Jalil Okafor, we took him with the number three pick out of Duke, and he came in and was just not about the process at all. He and it's not like he was he was dominating or anything. Like he he was he was out of shape. He was he was not fitting the the offense at all. He's just like what we talked about. You know, he's an inside center, no jump shot. You know, he's kind of undersized a little bit. He's not huge. And, you know, his work ethic just completely went down the drain when he realized how bad we actually were. I think that was a, that was a thing about it. Like a lot of these guys get drafted high to these teams and, you know, they're, they're real high on themselves, you know, and most likely if they're going top three, like, or top, even in the lottery, like, like we just talked about Noel and now Okafor going three, you know, a lot of these guys are coming off, you know, being college stars and, you know, their teams were most likely pretty, pretty, pretty damn good with, with them being top picks on those teams. And then they come to these NBA organizations who are in absolute shambles and are, are awful. Frankly, the Sixers were pretty awful there for a couple of years, especially the year after we took Okafor. And, and again, he was on Duke. So he was on a team that was very, very successful. I believe they won the national championship that year. So he's coming off a national championship and then come into a Sixers team who won nine games the year before, like he's or 10 games the year before So he, you know, he will, and he didn't accept that at all. And that, and, you know, he just gave up on it, you know, very early. It was obvious that he just gave up on it. And I think he definitely, you know, didn't put in this full effort to make it work. And and that's why I am not a big Jaleel Okafor fan. Me and Brian were at the, the Pelicans game a couple, or I think that was that was last season, or two. That was yeah. that two seasons ago. Might have been two. Yeah. But yeah, I remember that. Jaleel, we booed him every time he touched the court. I think adding on to the Okafor thing, I say when we drafted him, we already had Noel and Bead was still hurt. That was going to be a weird fit, and we were an awful team. And I remember he made all rookie team putting up completely empty numbers. I think he averaged almost 20 points a game his rookie year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was he was putting up numbers, but, I mean, again, we were awful. So yeah. very little of the games we were actually in. So a lot of his points were against the back, the third center on the other team, you know, who, you know, probably would never see an NBA court unless they were playing the Philadelphia 76ers in 2016. Yeah. So we were the load managed team. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Number two for me has got to be someone. Uh, I don't even remember what the official total games for him played. I just know it's bad. Uh, he's another one of mine that I just I disagree with the trade, and he just so happened to be on the other end of it. And that would be Zaire Smith. Uh, I think I've talked about it before on the last week. Uh, how I I disagree with that. I disagreed with that trade when it happened in the draft. Drafting Mikel Bridges, uh, Villanova star, Philly kid. His mom worked for the Sixers. Yeah, long, athletic, can play defense, lock guys down, shoot the three-pointer, coming out of Nova, and we trade him for Zaire Smith at the draft. At the time, was hurt with a foot injury. Yes. I believe it was a foot, ankle, something like that. 
if you saw him at Tech, I'm pretty sure he was at Texas Tech. Don't Texas quote Tech. me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's where he went to school. Yeah. He, I mean, he's athletic like crazy, but yeah. I mean, the jumper, not exactly there, maybe not quite the defense. And I mean, to trade someone like a plug and play like Bridges for him, I thought that was bad. And then the return on him, Zaire Smith, I think he, I don't even know what the official total for games is, but I know he barely played. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure how much of that is the organization or how much that's him. I know he was injured for a period of time, but I just think for someone that was, I mean, he's drafted pretty high from Phoenix. And I mean, for what he gave us, uh, for how little he played, how little he really put in when we played, I think that just, I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little irritating what we gave up for him. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, if we would have drafted him straight up yeah. and just took him, you know, Mikel, we didn't even take Mikel Bridges. We just took Zaire Smith right out of it. I still would have been upset because he was injured when we drafted him, which what, other than Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I can't name another player in the entire league who that ever worked out for. It just never works yeah. out. The Sixers ended up getting two absolute gems of hurt players from the draft that ended up working out. But Zaire Smith was definitely not going to be one of them. I think what makes it to where it's very annoying and it puts a bad name on Zaire Smith is that, you know, we gave up Mikel Bridges for that. And especially, like you said, with the resume Mikel Bridges had just off the basketball court with how well he would have fit with Philadelphia. I mean, being from Nova especially is a huge advantage when a lot of your games are played in the arena that you're now going to play pro basketball in. People don't realize how, how much of an advantage that would be, you know, how, you know, you know, used to playing in the same arena can, can really help a player. And, and again, like I said, his mom worked for the Sixers. Like she literally, I forget what her job was, but it was some, she was in the, the, she was in the office somewhere. I think it was some marketing thing or something, but like, and then you just trade him away for, for an injured guy who can jump. I mean, it was just, it was just yeah. an awful decision by, by Hanky himself. Especially what we needed shooting at mm-hmm. the time and what he would bring on defense as well. It's, I just think it's a, a not a good trade. Yeah. Didn't, didn't end up working out for the Sixers at all. Yeah. And my third one is it's a, it's a little bit a little bit cheating, but but I'm gonna go with it. Uh, I didn't hate him as a player. I never saw him, but now because of a lot of the decisions he has made, I can't stand him, and I don't understand how he has a job in this league at all, especially for the 76ers. Would be Mr. General Manager Elton Brand, absolutely blowing the Sixers' chances of making the playoffs last year with the beautiful signing of Al Horford and and Josh Richardson and believing that would work in any way whatsoever it's just me signing jimmy butler yeah that yeah throw icing on that's the cherry on top right there is you know let's let jimmy butler walk but let's give al horford 180 million dollars or whatever it was 124 i think it was as soon as brett brown said jimmy butler's a was gonna be a problem uh brett brown should have been fired and someone should have been brought in that can deal with jimmy Mm-hmm. And that, you know, like you said, even if Brett Brown couldn't handle Jimmy, 
you know, that's where, you know, unless it's like Greg Popovich or something, you know, Brett Brown, you know, wasn't the, the greatest coach in the, in the league, you know, that's where you need to pick, you know, are we taking star player or are we taking mediocre coach? And then they let Jimmy Butler walk and then they fired Brett Brown the next year. So you had, you kept neither of them by the end of the year, by the end of that year, both of them were gone. So, I, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just all bad decisions for Melton Brand so far on his resume. Yeah, he brought Jimmy Butler in, which is a plus. You know, he, you know, he brought him in. So you got to give him a little props on that, but he also let him walk. So, you know, that basically cancels each other out. But yeah, Elton Brand has, is not on a lot of Sixers fans' good side right now as he has failed to make a lot of a lot of decent decisions for us. So I hope he can turn it around in the future as it looks like he's going nowhere as GM because if he made those decisions of Al Horford and Josh Richardson and it completely blew our playoff chances for, for, a, for a year on what some talk about as the easiest path in the playoffs, being in the bubble, I think, you know, He's definitely got a lot to prove as GM. Yeah. Uh, number three for me, uh, it, it would be uh, Evan Turner. This guy was the number two pick behind John Wall. Yeah. All, all NBA player. There were some great players in that class, and we drafted him number two. class, correct? Yeah. And Boogie was taken in that class. Um, this guy, he just never really, like, I don't know, I don't know what he was. His jaw, he, like, he wasn't great at shooting. No, his form was awful. His, yeah. My form looked better than his. It was awful. I remember how hyped he was. I used to have his jersey. (laughs) For those who don't know. Brian is the most unlucky jersey buyer in the world. Me and him are both Washington football team fans, and you have, what, two RG3 jerseys? Yeah, I do. And those, <laughs> those, are, now. those are both worthless. He had the, the Evan Turner jersey. I mean, you just yeah. had no luck. Yeah, it just – he never – it never worked. His averages never looked great. I mean, even on a team that, like, he – he could have taken it. Like if he was the guy, he could have taken over. We weren't going anywhere. We were, well, I felt like we said last week, we were stuck in like seventh, eighth seed territory. Like he, he could have really ascended if that was, if it was, if he was good like that. And he just, he disappointed. I remember we traded him and it just, it never really worked. And he disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely, I mean, he looked great at Ohio State, but you know, yeah. it was one of those things where you know, is he going to be? Is he? Is his game going to translate to the NBA? And I think that was just something the Sixers didn't consider as much as they, as much as they should have. And obviously, you know, you can't. You know, they don't have a crystal ball, so they didn't know what Damian Lillard was going to turn into, or or what Boogie's potential was in the league there when he was when he was young and healthy. But you know, obviously, there's there's repercussions for decisions like that. Obviously, you know, there's something that people saw in Damian Lillard for him to go nine. And obviously it turned out pretty, pretty darn well for them. So I think a lot of these guys just turn out to be Sixers draft busts who just, who just didn't fit the team at all. And it was just a bad decision on draft day that ended up, you know, ruining their, their Sixers career. 
and I say Sixers career because, you know, a lot of people are going to hate on Marco Fultz. Marco Fultz did not fit this Sixers team at all. You know, the fact that they even traded up to expect him to fit with Ben Simmons on the court at the same time just didn't make sense at all. So, and as we've seen now, he's hurt now. I hope he comes back better than ever, but, you know, he's, he's flourishing with Orlando. So, you know, he just, you know, it was obvious he wasn't the right fit, but, you know, draft day decisions are the death of the Sixers and why they were so bad for so many years. And it just never got better until Ben and Joel came around. So that is going to be our six least favorite Sixers of all time. Not sure what we're going to do next week for the Sixers six, but you will have to listen next week to find out as that will do it for episode two of the CNB podcast. You can find us on Spotify at CNB Sixers podcast. Follow us on Twitter at CB underscore pod. So with that being said, we will see you all next week and have a great night.